Today is September 23rd. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the U.S.-Canadian imposed border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Ganai, Bakani. This confederacy was here long, long, long thousands of years, so I always want to acknowledge that first. But as of 1877, we are now on Treaty 7, so I also acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, the Wesley Chiniki and Bearspaw Nations, and the Sutina Nation. I acknowledge all Indigenous that are First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status or non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of all of these lands. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I just share my journey as I walk the red road. My name is Michelle Robinson. I was born in Calgary as Michelle Elliott, another very English name which has afforded me privilege in a colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian that I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act imposed status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people, in Treaty 11. I am a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene Nation is a visitor to the area of Clincho Tene Indahe, which in Satu Dene means Many Horse Town, named after the Calgary Stampede. My spirit name is Red Thunder Woman, and that was given to me in ceremony. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian. I want to say thank you to Amanda, Amy, Ashley, Diana, Dustin, Joni, Judy, Julie, Kenna, Matt, Nathan, and Sharon for signing up. I also want to thank um, Barb's, who gave me a one-time $100 um, donation, which I appreciate very much. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I would love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or questions. We're also now on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and nativecalgarian.com is up. Violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it, and that's why I started this podcast, to speak freely without interruption from tone police, leadership shaming, gaslighting questions. Many people do not want to hear Indigenous opinions, but sure want to tell us theirs, and usually by people who know nothing about Indigenous colonialism, the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights. People uh, deal with internalized racism daily as well. So there are people who are gatekeepers that survive off the status quo and other people who are still in extreme trauma. Internalized and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. And this podcast is a, a great boundary for me and a way for me to heal while talking. I hope that my daughter and my family will be proud in the future as I try to discuss these present day issues in a way that they can understand. So one of the things I want to teach everyone is uh, cultural safety guidelines, and that's in order to create a safer place for Indigenous people to speak. Um, this goes beyond just Indigenous people. It is also for people of color and LGBTQ2+, um, because they've been marginalized on purpose. I've talked many times about colonialism, and today I'm really going to talk about some uh, basics for a lot of people. But before I do, I want to teach people how to set up culturally safe spaces. 
always start with a land acknowledgement so that Indigenous people know that you acknowledge that colonialism is a thing and that they still exist. Um, other things you can do, do something. Having good intentions is not enough. Take action to make change. Speak out against racism. Ask question of, questions of those with more understanding. Find allies. Create a support system for yourself so that you can help advocate for culturally safe approaches. Take responsibility for your own learning. Read, reflect, ask questions. Do not expect this learning to come from marginalized people. Take time for self-reflection. Beware of your own assumptions and biases. Question everything you've learned about Indigenous people and take steps to actively disrupt the stereotypes. Commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and difficult task. And I want to say thank you to here to help.bc.ca for a great uh, list there called What is Indigenous Cultural Safety and Why I Should Care About It? Um, another form of racism that I talk a lot about is internalized racism. A lot of people call that lateral violence. Um, but that is a situation that occurs in a racist system, which Canada is with the Indian Act, when a racialized group is oppressed by racism and supports the supremacy and dominance of the dominant group by maintaining and participating in that set of values and behaviors, social structures, ideologies. Um, yeah, basically it manifests itself in four dimensions, inner, interpersonal, institutional, and cultural. And uh, that has been given to us by Donna Bivens of racialequitytools.org. And if you Google uh, cultural safety, you'll find more information about that. Another um, bunch of guidelines I like to give people is to what to do in case of uh, witnessing a public instance of racism, anti-black, anti-Muslim, anti-trans, um, anti-Indigenous, or any other type of oppressive interpersonal violence or harassment. Um, these are given to us by the American Friends of Service Committee. And if really quickly go through those, do make your present known as a witness. If possible, make eye contact with the person being harassed. Ask them if they want support. Move yourself near to the person being harassed if possible and you feel that you can do so. Create a safe distance or barrier between the person being harassed and the attacker. Also, if it's safe to do so, uh, film or record the incident with, of course, the person being harassed consent. Do take cues from the individual being harassed. Is the person engaging with the harasser or not? You can make suggestions like, do you want me to move over here? Do you want to move to another train? Ask him for to leave you alone and then follow their lead. Notice if the person being harassed is resisting in their own way and honor that. And especially people who are not of color do not tone police a person being harassed because it is perfectly acceptable when somebody's being attacked to be angry. So telling them not to be an angry Indian or not to be an angry black is not helping. Um, in fact, the opposite, you want to de-escalate the situation. Follow up with the person being harassed after the incident is over and see if they need anything else. Do what you need to do to be safe. That is the most important part. Don't call the police. Uh, for many communities experiencing harassment right now, whether it's um, Arab, Muslim, Black, queer, trans, Indigenous, or immigrant, the police can actually cause a greater danger for the person being harassed. Don't escalate the situation. The goal is to get the person being harassed to safety and not incite further violence from the attacker. 
Don't do nothing. Silence is dangerous. It communicates approval and leaves the victim high and dry. If you find yourself too nervous or afraid to speak out, move closer to the person being harassed and communicate your support with your body. So with that, I want to get into something that um, I was actually really surprised. One day out of the blue, I checked my podcast and it was listed as adult only content. And I wasn't expecting that. So we've gone through the, you know, appeal process to ask that it is uh, not adult only. But when, you know, they've classified you as such, you're classified. So get ready to blush because now that I am adult content, (laughs) well, I think I might, I might work that a little more. But in all seriousness, today is by visibility day. And um, I was actually really unaware of this holiday until recently about the last two or three years. And uh, it, it came up in my, it came up a few more times, but I this today was actually the first day I really went to an event and uh, I went for other reasons, but we'll talk a little bit more about that. A lot of you are probably wondering, why are we celebrating Bisexual Day? So I looked on Wikipedia and um, as it turns out, and I think a lot of people are are aware that there is a lot of um, uh, prejudice against people who are bisexual, but even for me, I, of course, don't really know all of the history and, and who the people were. This was first observed in 1999 at the International Lesbian and Gay Association Conference in Johannesburg, South Africa. Uh, it was the brainchild of three bisexual right activists, Wendy Curry of Maine, Michael Page of Florida, and Geeky Raven Wilbur of Texas. And Wilbur said, Ever since the Stonewall Rebellion, the gay and lesbian community have grown in strength and visibility. The bisexual community has grown in strength, but in many ways we are still invisible. I too have been conditioned by society to automatically label a couple walking hand in hand as either straight or gay, depending on their perceived gender. Um, This celebration in particular, as opposed to the general LGBT events, was conceived as a response to the prejudice and marginalization of bisexual people by some in both the straight and greater LGBT communities. Uh, Wendy Curry said, we were sitting around at one of the annual bi conventions venting and someone, I think it was uh, Gigi, said that we should have a party. Uh, We all loved the great bisexual Freddie Mercury and his birthday was in September. So why not September? We all wanted a weekend to ensure the most people would do something. And Gigi's birthday was on the 23rd, which fell on a weekend. So poof, we had a day. So, um, I thought that was really important information. I didn't actually know uh, that history. I know a lot of the Stonewall history, but I think for me, uh, learning more about um, the the actual activists that put together Bisexual uh, Visibility Day was pretty important. And today I I did learn a lot at this event, but I wanted to give a bit more of a background as to why these issues matter so much to me. I have a an aunt who identifies as a lesbian, and I have two transgender uh, cousins, which, because I started researching a lot more about missing and murdered Indigenous women, I started to understand the gravity of why so many um, Two-Spirit are so marginalized. And what really changed everything for me was a book by Sarah Carter. And the book is The Importance of Monogam- Being Monogamous, uh, marriage and 
nation building in Western Canada into 1915. So to me, the contents of this and, and what I had read just, it, it changed everything and it changed uh, the way I look at Canada in general. Um, just to give you an idea, some of the contents are in it. Um, the first chapter is creating and challenging, imposing and defending the marriage fortress. Uh, customs not in common. The monogamous ideal and the diverse marital landscape of Western Canada. So this literally gives a history of uh, the poly uh, marriages that were here and what relationships really looked like. Number three is making newcomers to Western Canada monogamous. So this was literally making Christian British laws in order to have that land theft. Uh, four, a striking contrast where perpetuity of union and exclusiveness was is not a rule, and at least not a strict rule. Five, really important to me, in 1866, uh, traffic in Indian girls, panic and foundation of federal approach to Aboriginal marriage and divorce. Six, creating semi-windows and uh, supernumeracy wives, prohibiting polygamy in Prairie Canada's Aboriginal communities because it was so normal they had to figure out how to undo that. Um, seven, un undigested, conflicting, and inharmonious, administering First Nations marriage and divorce. Like, I'm not kidding, this book has changed my life. And it changed the way I looked at colonialism because while I knew colonial colonialism was forced, it really gave me a strong window into how different Indigenous um, relationships and and just concepts of family were in comparison to what I've been raised to believe um, was so-called normal. Um, I, if I could sit here all all night and just read you this book, I would, but I know I can't. So I'm just going to read um, some small excerpts that really really just changed the way I looked at everything when it came to this. Um, this is on page 122. Aboriginal people of the plains also permitted marriages of people of the same sex. One of the spouses might be a two-spirit who took the activities, occupations, and dress of the opposite sex in whole or in part, temporarily or permanently. There is no instance of conformity of binaries of masculinity and femininity. Indian agents were frustrated by their inability to tell women and men apart, and they made mistakes or were misled when describing certain individuals. Oftentimes, they did not note the flexibility of gender roles as they described individuals in which annuities were paid, as is evident in terms such as wife shown as a boy last year, boy paid as girl last year, boy now a man formerly ran as a girl. Clothing, hair, footwear, personal decor did not differentiate men and women in the same way that Euro-Canadians were accustomed to. Quapel storekeeper Edward Brooks wrote in a 1882 letter to his wife-to-be that, I saw a couple of purebred Indians down at the station a couple of days ago and could not tell whether they were squaws or not, but finally made up my mind that they were man and wife. They were both dressed nearly alike as possible, had long braided hairs, wore lots of jewelry, and had their faces painted with vermilion paint. An English visitor to Western Canada named Edward Roper wrote in his 1891 book that most of us found it almost impossible to tell the young men and women apart, 
They were exactly alike in the face. The men had no beards or whiskers, and being generally um, enveloped in blankets, the difficulty increased. All wore similar, beautifully decorated moccasins, bangles, and earrings. In plain societies, there were women who did not marry and pursued activities mostly associated with men. They hunted buffalo and went to war. An informant told Goldfrank described a woman warrior who was treated as a true leader. She was renowned for acts of bravery, such as going into an enemy's teepee and taking headdresses from behind the bed. She used to leave her leggings at the enemy's camp, and they would say, that woman has been here again. She always slept alone while the men remained in camp. She would sleep on top of the hill and sang a song. Each day, she would know where to lead the party. This may have been the warrior another informant identified as trim women, saying that the women, the kind women is always respected and always depended on them. They are admired for their bravery. They are lucky on raids, so the men respect them. Another Ganai woman, Empty Cooley, had a similar, had a story similar to Trim Woman's, but she had more courage killing enemies and capturing guns, while Trim Woman only captured horses. After she became an expert in raiding, she changed her name to Running Eagle, a man's name. She wore men's, oh, she wore women's clothing, but she got respected as a real man and never married. Some of the women took on, and some of these are quoted, manly roles and were never married. In the book, Five Indian Tribes in the Upper Missouri, Edwin Thompson, a fur trader in the years of 1833 to 1856, described a Grovant woman who was a respected woman warrior, negotiator, and hunter, and who was regarded as the third-ranked chief of her band. And she had a wife. He wrote, Strange country, this where men assume in dresses and perform the duties of women while women turn men and mate within their own sex. There were also married women that participated in quote-unquote manly activities with their husbands. A Ghanai woman named Elk Yells in the Water went on several war raids with her husband. She even, she gave her adopted horse, mother a horse, and captured um, when she accompanied her husband on a war raid. The quote-unquote manly-hearted women of the Blackfoot excelled at feminine occupations and had the finest women clothing and were also always married, often several times, and had children. But they also developed characteristics defined as quote-unquote masculine. They were aggressive, independent, bold, and sexually forward. As Ether, or Easter Goldfrank wrote, the essential pattern for their lives remains safely within the framework set for a woman as a sex. But the manly-hearted woman would, quote-unquote, make advances in affairs of the heart, and she may refuse to marry the man of her father's choice. She will marry in her own time, and she will not hesitate to beat off an irate husband. She's usually an excellent worker. This, is, this as well as her passion response to love, make her a desirable mate despite her willfulness and domineering ways. <laughs> so that's the last bit of the quote I want to read to you. I could keep going, but I just find it funny them even trying to describe indigenous women, specifically Blackfeet women um, in those old times. So that really changed the way I looked at, uh, at Alberta 
Canada and colonialism in general, because it really changes um, this forced Christian narrative that we've all been colonized with. So when we talk about intergenerational trauma and we talk about decolonizing, you know, I know that the Catholic Church played such a huge role in my family. And um, of course, being raised in my dad in um, Sylvan Lake, a predominantly white um, town, it just obviously was all reinforced for me. My husband and I uh, were, you know, monogamous, heterosexual, but we never even had conversations about, you know, bigger pictures of asexuality, pansexuality, bisexuality, two-spirit, and these were not even on our radar. Um, so the event I went to today was done by a group called Possibilities, and they're basically an advocacy and a support network for the bi community here in Calgary. And Tiffany um, was the event organizer. So I'm, I'm incredibly grateful to have Tiffany in our life. And um, with that, uh, Tiffany had put together actually some really great resources for everybody. And I took lots. I took lots for a lot of reasons. The first one being I needed my own self-education. But the second one is that we're going to have Joshua Whitehead on our book club coming up. Uh, well, not him himself. I haven't asked him if he wants to come, but um, more so his book. And, you know, the biggest worry I ever have with my book club is that we're going to have people say, you know, incredibly ignorant things that are hurtful to Indigenous people. So I wanted to make sure I went through all this material and I worked really hard at making um, safer spaces guidelines that were more Indigenous friendly, but also more LGBTQ2 plus friendly because we got to give them the space first. So it has to be that space first, then Indigenous, and then the non-Indigenous opinions um, because the Two-Spirit and the LGBTQ2 plus Indigenous will set the tone of what it's like to be in that community. And even a heterosexual like myself needs to take a step back and know my privilege. Even at this event, I made an inappropriate comment. Um, you know, my, my daughter was one of the panelists. She actually did the land acknowledgement. And then um, as a youth, like she has told me many times that, you know, Camp Firefly is age discriminatory and it doesn't start soon enough. And, you know, I, I feel that. I worry about one of my little cousins and um, that age um, that age issue because, you know, a lot of kids know who they are a lot sooner because we're in an atmosphere that can talk about it. When I was growing up, uh, Three's Company was a regular show and Mr. Roper would make fun of Jack all the time about being a fairy and uh, derogatory um, type of things were always set on regular TV. Uh, this was normal. I remember loving Wham and my family making so much fun of them being gay and said awful things. When uh, Wham broke up, they told me and, you know, I was more confused by their reaction about, you know, two men being in a relationship and breaking up. And, you know, it was awful at the time because there was no resources to explain that. But I definitely knew by the uh, breakup of Wham how bad it was to be um, gay. And I, I didn't even know what LGBTQ2 plus was at that time at all. Um, but obviously now I'm a lot older and now that I'm realizing these are conversations I never even had, 
um, I tried to explain to my daughter at a very early age that um, Indigenous people, they don't have the same concepts of marriage that Christians do, that, um, you know, it's okay to, you know, act manly or act female, and that this society she's growing up in is going to tell her one thing when the, our ways are actually another I have a wonderful person, well, I have so many wonderful people in my life that talk to me about these issues, and one of them challenged me to uh, find out what two-spirit was in my language. And uh, so I actually had to call my my granny, and thank goodness that she was with my cousin, whose um, little one is identifying as transgender, and we had this open conversation. And it had turned out that in Satu Dene, originally, there was no uh, male, female, um, language. It was just all they and them. And that really helped give me permission to really understand what they and them pronouns are and try to start utilizing that knowledge. Because when you look at somebody and automatically genderize them, that changes everything. And number one, it's probably wrong. But number two, that really forces Western Christian ideals onto a person and that within itself is its own discrimination. So, you know, I really tried to explain that to my daughter at an early age. And, um, you know, this book is my favorite book, hands down out of all of the books I have. This is one I would probably run back into the house for, even though I know I could probably get another one. Um, so I, I should never, never, ever run back into a house that's on fire ever. I'm just point blank. But Anyway, that wasn't my real point here. Uh, <laughs> some of the great uh, resources that was given to us, um, my, I, I guess we'll go through all of them. One of the questions my daughter always asks me is, um, what are the different flags? Well, the wonderful information that was put together here was actually put on each, each flag. So, for example, my the newest one that's in my life is the rainbow flag, but then as triangles in there is the black, brown, and then the light blue and the and the pink to denote transgender. And it's one of my favorite ones because it's the most inclusive LGBTQ2 plus flag that there is. And um, you know, on the back of their on the back of this postcard is, you know, I'd like to invite you to know me better. My name is, my pronouns are what I want to know, want you to know about me is, and if you have any questions, you can ask me yes or no, research this website, and contact Possibilities Calgary and Tiffany at, and she actually, or they give their uh, Gmail account. So if you look up uh, Possibilities Calgary, by all means, do be a part of this wonderful crowd, because I was lucky enough to be in their space today, and um, just good open people willing to have great discussions. They had the panelists and, you know, there was one gentleman that very similar to me with my story with um, George Michael, he had a very similar story about his mother and uh, Prince. And it only was after Prince had died and he was an adult that he actually heard Prince's songs for the first time. And it, he could trace it back to when he was six and something that his mother had said about Prince being uh, gay and you can't listen to that. And he never did. And he said, I can't believe I was denied this, um, you know, a legend of our times music this whole time. And uh, <laughs> I thought that was uh, 
I, I just related to that. And I wondered how many other people also related to that. Uh, another postcard is uh, a rainbow flag, but on top of it are two, feather, two feathers and it says two spirit, um, an indigenous concept for peoples whose gender or sexuality exist outside the colonial understandings of gender, gender and sexuality. So on the back, it says how to be supportive, recognize that indigenous ways of understanding, acknowledging, embracing, and teaching about two-spirit identities is a wonderful example of resistance against ideals promoted by Indian residential schools, Christianity, and colonialism. Educate yourself about specific issues facing indigenous communities and work to unlearn your own internalized colonial beliefs and prejudices. Spend time engaging with two-spirit, indigenous, indigenous, and LGBTQ IA plus bloggers, poets, authors, musicians, filmmakers, and artists. Why do we need uh, bi plus visibility? The non-monosexual community, including bisexual, pansexual, queer, and other non-mono, not straight, not gay orientations, are at increased risk of intimate partner violence, regardless of the gender of their partner suffer great mental health challenges and have access to fewer resources than either straight, gay, or gay individuals. These challenges are even more pronounced for black, indigenous, or queer people of color and for transgender, non-monosexual folks and for disabled, poor, or unhoused folks. We need visibility because we have been invisible for too long and it's hurting our communities. Did you know Two-Spirit is an identity that is specific to indigenous people. Allies cannot use this term. If a person is using a nation-specific term to describe themselves, you can learn and use that term for them. Another one is the bisexual bisexuality flag. Um, it's beautiful. It has um, uh, dark pink, dark purple, and then a dark blue. And attractions to two or more genders or attraction to the same and other genders. On the back, how to be supportive, be respectful. This means not asking intrusive questions, trusting that the person speaking to you is the expert on their own experience and trusting us as human beings rather than stereotypes. Listen without judgment. Sometimes we are confused. Sometimes we are going through a phase. Sometimes we are dealing with shame and fear. Listen without judging. We get enough ju judgment already. Educate yourself. Learn about the history of our community the, the specific issues faced by non-monosexuals, which differ from bisexuals, pansexual, asexual, two-spirit, and other identities. And read writing by queer bloggers, authors, poets, musicians, and academics. Why we need bi plus visibility. And this one is the same one as before, but I think the most important is we need visibility because we have been invisible for too long and it's hurting our communities. Did you know... Brenda Howard from December 24th, 1946 to June 28th of 2005 was a bisexual activist and an important part of the queer history. She is known as the mother of pride. And no, I didn't know that. So thank you, Possibilities Calgary. All right. Asexuality, low or no, no sexual attraction to any gender, sometimes overlapping with aromatic non-romantic attractions, and sometimes not. How to be supportive. Be respectful. This means not asking intrusive question, 
And, uh, oh, I guess it's the exact same um, statement. Uh, and again, we need visibility because we have been invisible for too long and it's hurting our communities. Did you know that the world's largest on sex online sex asexual community can be found at asexuality.org and is run by AVEN, the Asexual Visibility and Education Network. I did not know that, so thank you. I'll be looking that up. Um, the panel discussion, one of the things that they had was uh, multi-generational families that were identified as queer. So that meant that, um, that there were, you know, people that were there that their mother was a lesbian or there was a family that was there that all identified as bisexual. And, um, you know, the kids identified as bisexual and the, the parents had identified as bisexual. So it was really good to have visibility that families are very, you know, different and complex. And I think me growing up in a heterosexual family and then having an extended, you know, um, step family shows that we all have family that looks a little different than everybody else's family. Um, but I think the strength in by visibility day and seeing a very queer family was that it, it is multi-generational and sometimes, um, we don't ever picture that because of the construct in the society that we live in. So, um, one of the resources that was given was bisexual parents. Bisexual in this document refers to the non uh, monosexual community, including pansexual, polysexual, heteroflexible, homoflexible, queer, and others. Um, and then they have tons of different uh, pictures here of what do people look like, what is a bisexual. Um, it gives some different ideas and facts. Inside is uh, special considerations for bisexual parents, um, invisibility plus erasure, you can't always tell by looking at somebody's parents. There's there are single parents. There's mixed gender couples. Um, there's just different looking families, no matter what. And I, I know this might be really boring to some people, but for me personally, I can honestly say I was not exposed to any of this growing up. And here we are in you know 2018, and I'm just getting to learn a lot of this. And one of the last resources that I picked up was a small self-care toolkit. And right on the front, you are going to rock this and I believe in you. And inside is um, some really great ideas on what self-care looks like and working on that. And me, and of all people, I promise you, I am not good at self-care. So I will be looking through that and trying my hardest to start incorporating that in my life because I think we all need self-care and um, and I need to learn how to be a really great ally to the LGBTQ plus uh, community in general and to my daughter and to my family. So, and I, I obviously encourage everybody to do that because the more inclusive we are, the better. I was recently in Bow Valley College and I couldn't believe how many rainbow flags I was seeing alongside people's uh, names. And I mean, growing up in, in Alberta, growing up, well, even being in my 20s in the energy industry, like we did not have rainbow um, stickers by people's names. That wasn't a thing. Diversity training was not a thing. Understanding other people was not a thing. 
So, you know, a lot of things have changed and I'm really grateful for it. And I'm really grateful for Sarah Carter's book. Really grateful for the experience I had today at the um, Bi Invisibility Day. And I should be saying Bi Plus Invisibility Day because it's incredible learning um, all of the things that are forgotten when you're in that community. So I hope you blushed. I hope it's a conversation that, um, you know, maybe for some of us we're not used to having and for a lot of you it probably put you to sleep so wake up wake up <laughs> anyway um in all seriousness i would do want to uh come back to calling back my spirit um come walk with us that starts on october 2nd in bagani and meets up with the sisters and spirit vigil in calgary on october 4th um i want to say thank you to my ancestors my granny my mom of what strength looks like through their example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be blunt and strong. My stepmom for showing me what a proud uh, Calgarian she is so that I could be a second generation Calgarian and, you know, showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian roots. And I want to say thank you to my husband for producing, editing the show. And on top of being my childhood friend and the father of our child, it's just witnessed the decades of racism and sexism that I've experienced. Um, to our child, I'm blessed to learn from every single day. I'm really honored you chose us. And to me, you give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. And especially today when I was clearly in your space and, um, and, and in a community space that needs our love and protection. Uh, one of the things I want to bring up before I forget was uh, one of the panel panelists spoke about well, they all spoke so well. Um, but one of them talked about the experience of being at a at a pride parade in the UK. And then when leaving two blocks away, um, there was a group of, of men waiting for her and, and beat her. And um, the police were standing right there and doing nothing. And this was prompted by my own question asking, you know, have you ever been hassled by the police? And it was brought up right then and there that sometimes the complicity of allowing gay bashings to happen is part of the reason why um, police in uniforms is still an issue. And that actually made me cry because of the work Voices had done um, to try to talk and bring awareness to some of the issues that we're still facing. So I just really was honored to see um, such a tender moment being shared and then understanding that the work that we're doing is so needed and can we need to continue doing it and we need to continue raising awareness to these issues so with that i want to say thank you to the bisexual community in calgary for allowing me to be in your space and allowing me to witness this beautiful moment of you know vulnerability and fun my god there were so many laughs and and so you know, it was eye-opening for someone like me, even though I like to think I'm open-minded and open-hearted. I'm still just a dumb old heterosexual that was raised this way and never really explored my sexuality in any way, shape, or form. So, um, you know, having these conversations meant the world to me. And I'm grateful that this community is so strong because I, I know the next generation needs that. And, you know, if I can do anything to be a part of that, I will. So... I want to say thank you um, to those who have supported this show, the patron account, Native Calgarian. And if you value listening and can afford to give, thank you to those who cannot. 
but want to listen in, nativeyyc at gmail.com for comments and questions. We're also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and nativecalgarian.com is up. With that, I say thank you and have a great day.